Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being on the show. Today, uh, we are lucky to have with us uh, Miguel Willis. Uh, Miguel is a uh, third-year law student at Seattle University uh, Law School in Seattle. He's the founder of a company called Casebooker. Uh, Miguel is uh, doing some interesting and fun things around technology and the law. And Miguel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me out, Mike and Joe. For sure. So tell us, like, uh, so tell us about this uh, this thing you've been. You kind of have this big, uh, big idea, which is uh, the, the law needs to. We need to deploy technology to, in a way that can, you know, enhance access to legal services, uh, improve, le- you know, improve the the provision of legal services to, to everyone. Tell us that, about that. What got you inspired to? Think about that. Well, what what originally got me inspired was, I guess, starting my company, Casebooker. Um, Casebooker is a, a mobile marketplace that allows law students to buy and sell their textbooks to one another within their school. Um, and then, I guess, I, I first got into law and tech uh, from attending the legal technology uh, hackathon uh, or startup weekend. And when I, I deployed this idea and built up the app. I guess one of the one of the focus areas for uh, the technology startup weekend was access to justice, but everyone I felt like had the kind of mindset of going into this uh, uh, startup weekend to make the next Uber for law. So, and 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 I guess me and my team wanted to solve the the problem of law and textbooks, but uh, following the that startup weekend. Um, I kind of wanted to replicate and duplicate this experience at my law school, so that's what prompted me to uh, uh, start this social justice hackathon. The problem, you know, with legal services and legal accessibility, there's over, you know, just about 80% of poor individuals can't receive legal services, or they're turned away. Their legal needs go unmet. So there's there's definitely a huge problem. Um, and we, we see a huge opportunity to leverage technology, to leverage innovation and collaborations to, uh, you know, meet, meet some of these challenges. Um, so that's where, you know, the hackathon comes into play. And that's where I work with a lot of different legal aid organizations to kind of build up their capacity, uh, reaching more clients through technology and through uh, these innovative collaborations. Yeah, we see, um, I mean, the, the access to, uh, to the courts is something that, um, that's tricky all around, uh, not just for, for very poor people, but for, or also for, for actual real companies that have money. Uh, you know, this, the, the legal system is kind of a, a tricky thing. A lot of people don't realize, you know, if, if you have a dispute, particularly like a commercial dispute, right, like, uh, you know, it's going to cost you, you know, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to, to, to litigate that. So uh, I don't know anything. Anything you can do from a technology standpoint to try to make justice available at less less expensive costs is probably a, a great uh, something that, that would benefit pretty much everybody except maybe the ultra rich. Um, yeah. what, what, what kind of what kind of things have you seen along those lines to try to make uh, to make justice available to more people? Uh, well, a, a lot of what we do is work with different mobile technologies, uh, legal portals, uh, triage systems. Uh, expert, you know, expert uh, legal systems to kind of help navigate people to to one understanding their their legal problem. Uh, Rebecca Sandifor uh, came out with a report recently uh, that you know the biggest uh, reason why people aren't getting legal services isn't a cost prohibitive problem, but it's just a lack of understanding their own legal problem, and this just doesn't uh, affect 
uh, you know, the kind of low-end consumer, but regular consumers. It's, you know, if, one, we have to understand the type of legal problem that we have, either it be in business or, you know, uh, uh, navigating a, a startup, for example. Um, there's so many legal problems and questions that an uh, entrepreneur has that he just may, uh, you know, not know in need of attorney. So kind of building out these systems, uh, you know, either if it's a, a triage portal or a way to connect in the consumer industry. I know Avo does a, a really good job of connecting consumers to uh, the legal services they need. So trying to get that on a lower level to, to where legal aid clients can also give these same types of services and products that uh, can help them navigate the courts and their, their legal issues. Yes, it sounds like a lot of kind of education, information, access to, to resources. I'm just kind of bringing, bringing the information to people in a way they can access. Yes, in a, in a user-friendly way that, uh, you know, that your, your grandma can uh, navigate. Yeah, that's a tricky problem. I mean, there's a reason why it's not, um, it's not done yet. I mean, it's just uh, there's lots of information, and it's not always easy to simplify it. And... Uh, it's just tricky. It's a tricky problem. I could see why it would be a, an interesting challenge to take on. Um, yeah, but I, I I also think you know just as much as we want to get get these legal services to to individuals that you know already have problems, I think it's just as important to provide legal services for entrepreneurs that you know are excelling, um, even if it's a, a you know first time entrepreneur trying to navigate. I remember, uh, you know, the, I, you don't even know the types of legal questions uh, you need to answer until you kind of meet certain situations. So it's it's really important that uh, you know not only people who are in need of uh, legal help uh, from already experiencing a problem, but kind of you know that pro or positive side of the law of of, of trying to forecast certain issues before they arise. Yeah. So, so where, tell us where you are now. I can hear the background. Uh, you, you, you mentioned before we got on the call that you were in D.C. Tell, tell us what you're, what you're working on and where, where you are. We can, we can kind of hear, hear the – it feels like we're there with you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm in a hotel lobby right now. Uh, someone's taking up the business center. Um, so I'm, I'm out here uh, in D.C. I work with an organization called the Self-Represented Litigants Network. And what we are is a collaboration of attorneys, judges – uh, legal educators and, and just legal innovators and we, we, we're, we're seeking to craft uh, tech solutions and uh, innovative collaborations to kind of solve some of the problems that uh, pro bono and self-represented individuals face as they navigate the courts. So tell us about you. So you, you have the textbook startup that you started. What's it called again? The, the textbook startup is Casebooker. And so, so, and uh, you're you're in law school now, right? Third year. And um, so how is that going? How, how have you uh, tell us about how what you know how it's gone since you started it, and and if you're getting traction, and what you're doing to kind of grow it. Uh, yeah. So Casebooker, uh, the problem was I experienced my first year in law school. Well, entering my first year of law school, um, you know, I couldn't get a civil procedure textbook. So. Uh, you know, I, 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 I went to the bookstore and uh, it was sold out, went to Amazon, I actually purchased it from Amazon and uh, I get a, a receipt a day later saying we're, we're actually out of stock. 
Huh. So, <laughs> two yeah, days. Yeah, for before. people that people that don't know, if you haven't been to law school, I mean, I guess it's the same with all textbooks these days. But law books are maybe even worse. I mean, yeah. legal, law books are. When I went to law school, they were probably like, I don't know, hundred bucks a piece or something like that. Are they? Is that is that close to what they are now? Or yeah, so uh, they're I guess new. Uh, they average around like uh, two hundred, one eighty. Yeah. Yeah. Used about one fifty, um, so they're pretty expensive. Yeah, and, uh, very expensive, and and um and often not easy to like. The resale market can be kind of. This is the same for all textbooks, but like you know the books change, and so your two hundred dollar book can become worthless the next year if if the next edition comes out, and yeah, um, and they put new editions out pretty often to for that exact purpose. It seems like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just to kind of keep uh you know keep people from just being able to pass their books down. Or uh, or sell them. Uh, yeah, so, so they have a they have a really uh, strong grasp of that. But uh, what what we did was we, you know, uh, since I wasn't able to get it, I finally was able to receive the book from a, uh, a upper level law student on campus for cheaper what it was going to cost from Amazon and the bookstore, and it was a convenient you know handle. It was cash and yeah, you're all so in the I, same place. I mean, you got you got the. You know, fortunately, you're all you know located in the same area, so you've got that going for you in terms of beat, beating out Amazon or, or uh, maybe not the bookstore, but you know, it, it you can gives you an edge over Amazon if everybody's in the same physical location, right? Yeah, and you know what was actually really, really great about this transaction was I was able to ask the law student how how the professor was, what the yeah. class was like. So I was able to get that kind of really personalized, uh, tailored experience um, during this book transaction. And I kind of had an aha moment of what if there was an app for this. So that was the kind of uh, the, 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 you know, the idea behind Casebooker of kind of creating these localized marketplaces to exchange textbooks and outlines. Outlines are a condensed version of the class. Uh, in about twenty to thirty pages. Yeah, outlines um, outlines can be great. Like, um, yeah, I think uh, I don't know for people that haven't been to law school, you know, it's it's basically you know you're working your way through the class and you take notes on on what you're what you're looking at. Being able to see someone else's notes to get a sense of what they thought was important, or or just to be able to you know follow along the structure of the class is super valuable. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, kind of kind of creating a marketplace for those. At each individual law school, in, in cities like D.C., because you know D.C., New York, Chicago, Boston, you have seven different law schools. So someone can walk over from G.W. to Georgetown and exchange their books as well. So you know, not you know, not making it a national marketplace, but kind of very localized marketplace where buyers and sellers, you know, have the trust, uh, you know, in place, and they can exchange the book. So Miguel, what's your revenue model on that? Uh, so we get uh, a fifteen percent cut off of each book. Uh, uh, it's a fee off of each book that's bought and sold uh, on the book. So that that only comes from the seller. Um, it's it's very similar to the the market, uh, the 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 business structure of an Amazon uh, or any online marketplace of. of you know, you're only charged once the book is sold, and then, you know, the payment is through the app. The the buyers and sellers meet within the app through a chat uh, feature, 
and they're able to meet at a safe and convenient location on campus and make that exchange. That's great. Now, how do you avoid the, the risk of people just getting to know each other on the app and then transacting outside the app and not paying you? How do you handle that problem? So we keep buyers and sellers uh, uh, anonymous until the, the payment actually goes through. So you, it, if you can look at it as you're going on Amazon and you see a book and you purchase it, once you make that purchase, um, that's when uh, the, the buyer and seller, the, the identities are revealed in the chat. I mean, of course, a buyer and seller can always, you know, refund and still know each other. But, you know, coming, uh, kind of doing some validation on this, uh, you know, generally people just want a, a fair price for their book or they want to get the book off. And, of course, we'll have some, some people getting over the system, like in all uh, businesses. But uh, we're, we're depending on the reasonable law student um, kind of thing. It's the reasonable law student standard. <laughs> the reasonable law student standard. Yeah, if you, if you haven't gone to law school, one of the one of the things you study is the the just the sort of, sort of reasonable person standard. <laughs> yeah, reasonable law student standard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so that sounds like a pretty nifty app. Have you thought about uh, expanding it into other other things other than law school books? Oh, yeah. So uh, kind of keeping the same model of very localized because there's there's some things that law students value. Um, that people in the MBA program don't value. So having a marketplace for each and kind of starting, starting with the law school marketplace and then kind of scaling, scaling up to other different schools. I mean, there's only 123,000 law students in the country. So that's, that's, a, uh, that's a, a dip in the pond to the 25 million college students around the nation. So I think starting, you know, uh, kind of getting some of these assumptions out early in a very small market uh, will, you know, allow us to kind of uh, meet the challenges of, of scaling up once once we make that decision. Right. And so you uh, go go back with me here in the history. So you uh, you came up with this idea, and then you found a team to help you build it uh, at a hackathon or a, a yeah. startup weekend. At a startup weekend. Um, so we were able to build out just a rough beta, and uh, from there we, we entered into a few business plan competitions, the Seattle U, uh, Albert's uh, Entrepreneurial Business Plan Competition, and the UW University of Washington, um, their case competition. So we were, we were finalists at the SU, and that, you know, that allowed us some initial capital to kind of spend our idea and kind of grow and, and hit at least Seattle. Um, and we were, you know, we were able to get some great feedback from students and really test this out uh, on the law students at Seattle U. I think a lot of people were really excited at the school to kind of see, you know, one of their colleagues, you know, handing out surveys <laughs> about an app that can help them, um, you know, save money um, and time and convenience. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I. Uh uh, how many have you seen other law students? I mean, you've you've had some held some hackathons at the. There was a hackathon at the uh, at the law school. Uh, is this a regular occurrence now up at SG Law School, or is that kind of a one time thing? Or uh, so I, I know the, the Seattle Legal Innovation Meetup Group uh, organized the original uh, uh, legal hackathon, and then you know from from there, um, I organized the social justice hackathon after you know receiving a ton of. Of mentorship from from guys like Dan Lair um, at Avo and uh, uh, 
um, you know, Kevin, Kevin, uh, Kevin O'Keefe, uh, and Lex Block kind of, they, they gave me a lot of information in terms of how to organize one of these things. So I kind of just took it up upon myself to, to get a whole bunch of people in one room and hack away at, at different kinds of problems, um, for the, for the hackathon at Seattle. But I, you know, just, just from the positive feedback that we received, it, it looks like, uh, you know, we're going to have some help to kind of keep this in, in kind of annual thing. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta imagine that'd be one. I don't know how many other law schools are are hosting like sort of legal tech hackathons on a regular basis, but I gotta imagine that's, you know, nice, a nice thing for a law school to do, and would attracts should attract students to the to the school and set the school apart from other schools in terms of kind of the approach to the future. Yeah, I definitely love the, the problem-solving, you know, very quick, iterative nature. And I mean, the goal is, you know, every every product that comes out of these hackathons aren't going to be your next Facebook. But I feel like we're at least at the table, at the drawing board, cracking away at some pretty, you know, pretty challenging problems. And the kind of uh, traditional way, at least in the legal profession, is to kind of set up one of these ad hoc committees two months later <laughs> come and, and, and select the next item of you know business and then a year later implement that and what, what we were able to do with some of these solutions was build them out in, in a matter of 48 hours in a very interdisciplinary you know manner of, of, of getting uh, technologists, lawyers, uh, advocates developers, uh, designers, all at the same table solving the same problem because we in the legal profession, we just don't have all the answers to solve some of our problems, but we tend to always monopolize this conversation of, of trying to have all the answers. Yeah, it certainly seems to me like uh, that is one, one of the great things about like a startup weekend or a hackathon is, uh, I mean, you don't have to... You don't have to have a bureaucracy. In fact, it's totally antithetical to the whole concept of a bureaucracy. We're just going to do some stuff. We're going to do some stuff this weekend. <laughs> yeah. You know, it goes it goes fast. And uh, I, I yeah, I know these big institutions have troubles. Just I mean, if you if a law school decides it wants to do a technology initiative, you can like, or any other big institution, you can imagine things can just take a long time uh, to move to move forward. So that's that's great that you're you're promoting at the law school. They ought to they ought to be pretty stoked. They've got a student like you who's who's doing this. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the law school has been very supportive uh, since since organizing the social justice hackathon. I was able to travel uh, to Little Rock, Arkansas, and help them uh, uh, with their hackathon, um, and also to Chicago at the ABA Tech Show uh, to help out at the, the hackathon to end domestic violence. So you have these, you know. Uh, Kind of organizing that event allowed me to kind of travel the country in a sense and and see what what other people are doing. Um, and, and really trying to you know getting law students energized and excited uh, uh, just about the possibility that you know they have the opportunity uh, while they're still in law school to to solve some of these problems, some of these bottleneck problems in the profession. And um, I think it's a really great thing. I think law students are really coming more adept to technology. Uh, I think overall that will aid the legal profession of having, I know 14 states have adopted 
uh, you know, you have to be uh, technologically competent as, as an advocate um, and, and know some of these rudimentary technologies uh, to better serve your client. Yeah, so, so tell me about the ABA event. Did you get to spend much time at the, uh, it was the, the uh, that's sort of the tech expo that they have where lots of vendors and people selling technology to the legal market can show up and you can see what the latest and greatest is. Is that, did yeah. you get to see any of that stuff? What, what did you see? Oh yeah, I've seen a, a bunch of great companies, uh, legal startups in, in terms of, you know, uh, artificial intelligence. I know Ross, uh, Ross Intelligence, they're doing some really great things. Of course, you know, you have your Clio's and uh, uh, Avos who just are, are constantly at the table uh, creating more innovative, uh, you know, solutions for attorneys and, and clients. Um, so a, a lot of different products uh, in terms of legal marketing platforms, uh, legal branding for solo and small practices. Um, Spotlight Branding is a, is a really cool company based out of Florida that helps uh, solo small practices um, with their branding websites. Uh, uh, yeah, Word Drake is a, is a tool that allows lawyers to kind of edit uh, what Drake and they're based out of Seattle to edit um, their documents. So it was just, it was just, it was, it was really uh, amazing because we definitely don't get that exposure and experience in the law school setting. And the majority of, uh, of graduates, of law students graduating, they're going to, you know, just by the numbers, they're going to end up in solo and small practices. So it's advantageous to have, you know, as much tools as possible to to kind of become this agile attorney uh, and 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 really use technology and innovation to leverage your practice and better serve your clients. Yeah, I've heard the same thing about. Uh, I think I think uh, it might have been. I don't know. It might have been somebody like uh, Nate Silver who said, "Well, if you're going to be a journalist, you better learn to code." <laughs> um, and it's maybe similar statement for uh, future lawyers. I, I don't know how you, how what you think about that, Mike. Since you're the coder in the in the group, Miguel, do you do actual coding as well, or are you? I, I, I nibble and dabble with a little HTML. Uh, just you know, kind of it was it was. I had to learn some to better communicate with my developers. Yeah, but uh, I'd stay away from the coding. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just curious because um, I mean, Mike, what, what's your reaction to this conversation? As a guy who actually, you know. Just cranks away code, you know, all the time. What, what's your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't think most lawyers need to learn how to code. Uh, it's just <laughs> I don't know that it would it would add much value. But um, but being familiar, there's like another layer, right? Like so, like I'm I'm someone who's just naturally very interested in technology and computers, and so that process started with you know using games and apps, and then eventually feeling dissatisfied with that and wanting to go deeper. I think for, for lawyers, it's more about just being comfortable trying new, you know, at, at the user level, you know, adopt adopt new applications, try new things, push all the buttons, try all the features, um, you know, don't be afraid to push, to, you know, there's a lot of older lawyers, uh, you know, lawyers when I was coming out of law school that, I don't know if this is still the case, it's got to be slowly changing, but there was always a, a level of lawyers that were like the oldest guys in the in the firm uh, and there's always like one guy at a big firm that just like I don't read emails. I don't I don't know how to do the, I don't know how to do the email. My my secretary prints all the emails up and puts them on my desk, and then I write on them. I hand them back. I mean that's just 
I, I don't see how that could possibly work, uh, uh, you know, going forward. So, so, I mean, everybody coming out of law school, I guess, should be familiar with technology or at least, you know, open to learning how to use it. Um, but I don't know that anybody needs to know how to code um, unless unless they're trying to, to do to do what what Miguel's doing and trying to, like, build something for the legal practice. Um, in most cases, it's just enough to, to be uh, open to new things. So, Miguel, so you met these guys uh, who helped you code this thing or these folks who helped you code this thing at a, a startup weekend or a type event. And how's that? I mean, a lot of a lot of people wonder about how to go about finding somebody to help them build the tool. Was it how did that experience? How did that experience go for you? Well, it was completely new, so there definitely was a communication gap. But uh, once you know, after a couple beers and late nights working, uh, you kind of get over that hop. I would say the the best way to go about if you wanted to execute on a new app, there's tons of, of coding academies. Uh, these coding boot camps, you'll say. I know in Seattle you have Code Fellows, uh, it's, it's a pretty big one out there. So you have a ton of, of, of students who want to get experience working on actual projects that would either lend their time for cheap or they'll do it for free just, you know, if you allow them to post it on their portfolio. And you have all types of these. Uh, uh, institutions, whether it be UX, UI design, um, you know, they're doing Java or CCS, or you know, a lot of different languages. So there's tons of these academies. Uh, I know for uh, you know fact that you can just reach out to the, the people at Co-Fellows and say, "Hey, I'm working on a project. Do you have students that might be interested?" Um, and then they can get, you know, maybe uh, a portfolio thing going. So I think uh, kind of leveraging, and that that also uh, tends to be the case on the university level. Um, a, a, a lot of things, and what really attracted uh, a lot of developers to the hackathon was that, um, you know, these developers got to work on actual meaningful projects, purposeful projects. So during, during the weekend, I, I, I can kind of uh, see that, you know, these uh, a lot of the technologists in the room were learning about a new problem. They had no, you know, clue what what the problems and the issues are in the legal system. So uh, it was it was definitely an educational experience for for everyone in the room in, in some particular manner. Um, but yeah, I, I would say definitely start out at your, your the, the universities and the, uh, the coding boot camps to find some of this tech talent. Yeah, so I presume you folk, you had to pay these folks something though. How'd you work that out? Uh, well, I think uh, sweat equity <laughs> we started out with. Okay. Uh, just kind of keeping keeping your team in line with the vision and keeping them excited, uh, and kind of also setting like just reasonable goals. I think you know I as a law student, uh, uh, my my back end uh, had uh, you know he was just coming out of school looking for paying opportunities so you know setting reasonable expectations of how 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 long we're going to work on this project during the week and 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 really uh keeping an open line of communication um um as we kind of get get the initial initial uh, beta out to our consumers well that's a that's a really great story miguel i mean i think uh i think a lot of people out there would love to do uh what you have done um and they're just kind of i i you know, it's exciting to hear you just did it. Uh, hey, where, where, before law school, what did you do? 
Uh, I work for the government. Okay. okay. <laughs> I worked in, I worked in Washington D.C. Uh, for the federal government, uh, working on immigration issues. Okay. So recently, you know, I was able to kind of uh, merge the two: my kind of background in immigration and uh, my kind of newfound love for technology. Um, working with working at the uh, city of Seattle, Office of Immigration and uh, Refugee Affairs. What we're doing is building out a, a, a new citizenship web portal that helps uh, legal permanent residents uh, get their citizenship. One-stop shop uh, to find uh, you know all the resources you need in terms of you know training for the tests, microloans for uh, uh, to pay off some of the fees, and uh, just a very user-friendly platform that utilizes. Uh, plain language forms and, and 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 different different tools of that nature. Yeah, that's funny. That reminds me of a. I heard a company pitch at uh, a Y Combinator demo day, and they were they were. I think they were one of the nonprofits that was pitching, and uh, basically they were just one of the lines from the pitch I remember pretty vividly was they said something like, "Your government has given you a horrible UI experience," or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Just about every. It seems like well, maybe maybe unfair in, in all instances. But I mean, there's certainly a, a, quite a few instances where you're just like, ah, this UI, it's horrible. And, yeah. Uh, if you're if you're entitled to a government benefit and you can't get it because you can't figure out how to use the system, that's a terrible thing. So it sounds like you're working on that's a problem that's worth uh, working on right right there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, uh, I was just kind of. Through the hackathon and through other connections, I, I was able to get that opportunity, and uh, it's it's good kind of seeing the challenges of of local municipals and uh, um, and how I'm able to at least contribute uh, to to kind of solving this problem. Yeah. Hey, great. I wanted to ask you this coming weekend. I think it's I think it's uh, I think it's this weekend. There's going to be the hack the central district in Seattle. Are you are you back in town? Are you out of town? Are you going to be involved in that at all? Or I uh, I'm actually going to be in LA. Uh, leave for LA tomorrow. But I, I I've been to the first two. I mean, David Harris and Hack the City. He's been able to do some amazing things uh, with you know uh, raising up entrepreneurs, uh, providing resources and guidance. Oh man, those those events are really cool and awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I met I met him. I've met him a couple times. Correspond with him, and he's a he's a he's a great guy. He's a really great great guy, and uh, so it's fun to it's definitely fun to watch and see um, what's going on in uh, with that. So yeah, uh, but I'll definitely I'll definitely be paying attention to him on Twitter. Um, what I do, uh, what, you know, every time I I, I miss an event that I really want to go to, I, I just turn on the Twitter and follow the hashtag. <laughs> yeah. See yeah. if I can fill it in. <laughs> yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, that's that's the right way to do it. Well, hey, we're we're really pleased to have had you on the show. And uh, if there's anything we can do to help you promote uh, Casebooker and or other things you're working on, please let us know, and we can uh, and we'll jump to you. Yeah, on the off chance that uh, someone listening happens to be in the market for buying and selling legal textbooks, how do they find your uh, app? Uh, www.casebooker.com. Um, also, uh, check out my blog, InnovativeLawStudent.com. Um, yeah, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. That's great. Thanks for being on. And everybody else, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody.